Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You could use a shortwave radio with a schedule of English-language broadcast, or it's simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows, and Radio Havana Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. The Japanese Prime Minister is meeting with the Presidents of the United States and South Korea in Washington, discussing Indo-Pacific security, North Korea, and the dumping of Fukushima wastewater into the Pacific Ocean. The U.S. soldier who fled into North Korea is seeking asylum. The World Trade Organization ruled against China's retaliatory tariffs on U.S. imports. NHK Japan Japanese Prime Minister Kishida Fumio has left for the United States for a trilateral summit with the leaders of the U.S. and South Korea. Kishida will hold talks with U.S. President Joe Biden and South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol at the Camp David Presidential Retreat. They plan to discuss security cooperation in the Indo-Pacific region, where China has been increasing its maritime activities. North Korea is also on the agenda. Pyongyang has been pursuing its nuclear and missile development programs. The leaders will call for joint drills by their country's armed forces and the activation of a real-time data-sharing mechanism for missile launches by the North. Xi also plans to speak with his counterparts individually, is expected to make a case for Japan's plan to release treated and diluted water from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant into the ocean. Water used to cool molten fuel at the plant mixes with rain and groundwater. The accumulated water is treated to remove most radioactive substances but still contains tritium. The Hong Kong government has suggested that if the plan is carried out, it'll ban imports of marine products from 10 Japanese prefectures, including Fukushima and Tokyo. The Japanese government is urging Hong Kong officials to think again. The IAEA put out a report saying the impact on people and the environment will be negligible. We hope the Hong Kong government will adopt a stance based on scientific evidence. Hong Kong is Japan's second biggest export market for agricultural, forestry and fishery products. The biggest is mainland China. Japan's exports of those products to Hong Kong last year were worth around $1.4 billion. Now, North Korea has, for the first time, mentioned a U.S. soldier who crossed into the country last month. It says uh, he wants to seek uh, asylum either there or in a third country. 
Travis King entered the North from South Korea on July 18th without permission. He was in a guided tour for civilians of a border village. King is stationed in South Korea. The state-run Korean Central News Agency carried the report on the soldier on Wednesday. It says he decided to enter North Korea because he harbored ill-feeling against inhuman maltreatment and racial discrimination within the U.S. Army. It also says he was disillusioned by inequality in American society. U.S. media say King had earlier faced assault charges and was about to be sent back to the U.S. to face disciplinary action. An official at the U.S. Uh, Department of Defense says it cannot verify King's reported comments and that its priority is to bring him back home. The World Trade Organization has ruled against China's duties on U.S. imports. The international body says that Beijing acted inconsistently with WTO obligations. The WTO's dispute panel announced its findings in a report on Wednesday. It addressed Beijing's additional tariffs on American imports, which were in response to Washington's duties, duties on steel and aluminum. China's Commerce Ministry said in a statement that it is studying the report. The ministry also justified the Chinese measures and criticized the U.S., demanding that it immediately lift the tariffs. The administration of former U.S. President Donald Trump imposed a 25% duty on steel imports and a 10% duty on aluminum imports from China in 2018. China then imposed duties on a wide range of imports from the U.S., including pork, fruits, and scrap metal. The WTO ruled last December that the U.S. move had violated WTO rules, but the administration of President Joe Biden has kept the metal tariffs in place. The Office of the U.S. Trade Representative welcomed the latest WTO report. It said that the United States is pleased with the outcome. It added that issues of national security cannot be reviewed in WTO dispute settlement. Those reports were from... NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard at 10 p.m. at 13710 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Russia hosted an international security conference in Moscow, attended by 800 delegates from 76 countries, including the new Chinese defense minister, India, and Brazil. Putin led off, accusing the West of fueling unrest around the world. Western nations did not attend, and the Western media barely reported the conference. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Russia is hosting an international security conference outside of Moscow, attended by China's new defense minister. The new defense minister's presence is seen by Western countries as a sign of support for Russia's war in Ukraine. Now, in his opening address, Russian President Putin again blamed the West for fueling unrest around the world. Russian allies Belarus, Iran and Syria are also attending this conference. Well, for more, I'm joined now by Alexander Gerlach. He's a senior fellow at the Carnegie Council for Ethics and International Affairs. He joins us tonight from Albania. Russian President Putin, um, he, he opened this conference by ripping into the West. I, I'm wondering, is this just business as usual, or should leaders here in Berlin, in Brussels, in Washington, should they be worried about anything new? 
Well, it's the same sort of conspiracy theories that he's spreading. And we do not really know if he believes that, that that comes from his isolation during the pandemic. However, <clears throat> it, I think it's quite clear that who is disturbing the world order, that is uh, people like President Putin, who uh, invaded uh, Ukraine. And you have mentioned already who else is there at this conference. These are not very... Uh, Mm, you say, simpatico countries, you know, so <laughs> right. that is just speaking for itself. So I feel like, but what is in interesting is that like this summit did not get much media attention. I was just checking and browsing through our uh, German media outlets and some English speaking ones. And I feel there is sometimes like the attention missing to just really like, you know, be part of the conversations that are happening. Yeah, it's interesting that it's not getting a, a lot of coverage because we know that Vladimir Putin in the past, he has certainly welcomed media coverage. The star of this conference, it's not really Russia, it, it's China for sending its new defense minister there who says he wants to strengthen military cooperations going from Asia to South Pacific, Latin America, and even here in Europe. Is he sending a message to the United States? Well, I mean, clearly, if you look into China, then you just know they are threatening democratic Taiwan with war. They have border issues with basically all their neighbors, and they threaten the international order by them, by means of their new uh, marine, and they try to like occupy all of the Western Pacific. So I feel like they are pretty, they are pretty on par, like these two uh, friends, Putin and Xi. However, last week at the peace conference for Ukraine in Jeddah, mm -hmm. uh, the Chinese government also sent uh, an envoy, and China is not really. Pleased least about the end of the, what we just saw earlier, uh, about the export of weeds from uh, Ukraine, because that is also affecting uh, the People's Republic of China. China has begun to buy uh, grain now from arch enemies such as Australia and Canada. So you can see that uh, Xi Jinping, who has vowed to make his uh, country self-reliant, is not at all pleased about the developments brought upon China by Vladimir Putin, his um, close friend and ally. And what about India? India is also attending this conference. It certainly has come under fire um, here in the West uh, for not distancing itself from Russia following the invasion of Ukraine. The fact that India is there, I mean, is it, try is it taking a clear stance or is it once again trying to have its cake and eat it too? Well, I mean, that's true. I mean, from some countries in the so-called global south that they do not want to be like uh, in one camp or the other. And I feel that's fair enough. That's true for India and Brazil to some extent, but also Nigeria, Indonesia. So these are countries that have gained more um, uh, access. They've also gotten more developed in the last couple of decades. And now they also want to be part of this international order. And the free world, as we, we call it from Canada to Germany, has to make room for these new countries because they want to be rather be part of this free world uh, order rather than in China's orbit. However, having said that, the, the Indian leader, Narendra Modi is not really a democratic leader as he's like alienating 200 million Muslims in his country. Mm. Uh, he's following an ideology that we in Germany can certainly identify as a, a part of a Nazi ideology. So he might personally feel much more closer to, to Putin and Xi. However, he tries to navigate and to position his country in, in between these powers and wants to also thereby establish India itself as a powerhouse. You know, you said that there's not a lot of media coverage of this conference um, here in the West. That doesn't change the fact, though, that this conference has attracted more than 800 representatives from dozens of countries, African countries, Asian countries, Middle East nations, including China and India. What does that tell us then about the West and its um, attempts to, to win the hearts and minds um, of other countries in this 21st century? 
Well, like in, in regard to that, I can re-emphasize what I, what I just tried to say is that the international institutions from World Bank to the National Monetary Fund, but also the Security Council of the United Nations must see the representation of such countries because nowadays they are still like pretty much um, occupied the leading positions by uh, what we would call former uh, Western uh, powers like France, America, England. And I think this has to change in order to make this model attractive. What China and Russia can only get is just like a, a lenient distance and just seeing to not being swallowed up by America entirely. But there is not much love for China or much love for Russia. However, there's sometimes also not enough love for America to just fully subscribe to what America does. And I mean, that's also uh, the Germans know this too. They did not subscribe to the Iraq war. So I feel like what needs to be done is to be much more open, open up the, the liberal institutions to uh, representatives to countries that have formerly not been uh, fully embraced in the leadership of these institutions. And that is something that I think in many Western capitals, people have to wrap their head around. Alexander Gerlach, as always, Alexander, good talking with you. Excellent insight. Thank you. That report was from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. They are also available at most podcast sites. On to George Galloway's Mother of All talk shows. The guest was Scott Ritter, former U.S. Marine Intelligence Officer and United Nations Weapons Inspector who warned Congress that there were no WMDs in Iraq. Scott talks about why the colonial past led some African countries to trust the Wagner Group. He also talks about how a negotiated settlement in Ukraine will be portrayed in the Western media and the greed of weapons manufacturers exploiting the U.S. budget. George Galloway. He's Scott Ritter. You've come to the right place if you want to hear some in-depth discussion on the current state of the war. It seems that uh, the United States is uh, scared to death of this organization uh, called Wagner, and she gave a specific warning to the Niger government not to get involved in Wagner, uh, or, or with Wagner, uh, I, I think what you know, I'm not here to uh, you know tout the uh, the benefits of, uh, of of working with Wagner. What I am here to say is that uh, the Russians, through Wagner, are providing a um, an alternative to the post-colonial um, deprivations of uh, or predations of France and England of uh, the United States global hegemony. Uh, there's there's competition right now for African security, and more and more. African nations like Mali, Burkina Faso, now perhaps Niger, are leaning towards the Russians because they trust them more. They don't, they don't have the same taint of uh, of the colonial uh, rape. I'm sorry to use that word of of Africa. And uh, Victoria Newland uh, seems to be scared to death that Wagner could or would get involved. And uh, it seems that she's failed on that front as well. In the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Times, the Telegraph in London they're actually inching closer towards the truth that Ukraine has comprehensively lost this war. And the only question now is how far the Russians are going to go. How is the public going to be, as it were, led from one of these positions to the other? How do you get the American people to accept the inevitability of a negotiated settlement? It can't be because Russia won. It has to be because Russia lost. I know it sounds silly, but if we convince the American people 
that an eventual negotiated settlement, even if Zelensky gets none of the 10 points, is because Russia was compelled to come to the table to accept these terms. The American people, trust me, are dumb enough to believe this and say, oh, yeah, look how good we were. We, we compelled Russia to come to the table and accept these terms. But the reality is Russia is defeating the Ukrainian military, defeating NATO, and it's NATO and the United States that are coming to the table. They're going to bring Ukraine with them. Um, but it's going to be spun because it's all about spinning this. It's going to be spun that Russia lost this war. Russia realized it couldn't continue this war. So Russia accepted peace terms. But look at the peace terms. It's everything that Russia is going to be demanding. And again, if Ukraine doesn't you know, bend on this, this war will continue. And as, as you said, uh, Ukraine will lose more. And I think that's going to be the culminating point. When the military collapses, when the air defense collapses, when it becomes clear that if Ukraine continues the conflict, they will lose significantly more territory, that's when I think you're going to see Ukraine flip and accept peace terms that uh, Russia uh, is demanding, but it will be spun that Russia lost this war. We need to push for a negotiated end to this war that meets Russia's terms and conditions. And it's not unjust to say that Russia deserves to get what it wants. It wasn't Russia that launched the coup d'etat in 2014. It was the CIA. It wasn't Russia that empowered the Banderas Nazis to take over. It wasn't Russia that inflicted ethnic genocide on the uh, Russian-speaking populations. Um, so I, I, I think you know history shows that Russia's on the right side of history in this conflict. War is never a good thing. It's never the ideal option. And the best thing we could do is try and facilitate the uh, conditions under which this war can come to a rapid conclusion. But it's not going to be on the terms dictated by Zelensky. It's going to be on the terms dictated by Russia. The Pentagon doesn't even hide the fact that over the course of the last decade, there's a trillion dollars they can't account for. They just don't know where it went. It's gone. Trillion. That's with a T, not a B. B is big enough. I mean, <laughs> an M is big enough. You give me an M, Ilian, I'm very happy. You put a B on it. A T, I can't even imagine. The Pentagon has lost a trillion dollars. They don't know where it went. Look, the United States budget isn't about national security. That's the first thing people have to understand. The United States budget is about greed. It's about corruption. We don't build weapons that are designed to help the service members prevail in combat. We build weapons to keep the manufacturers of weapons in their luxury apartments, in their big cars, in their vacation getaways. That's what it's all about. When we procure a weapon system, it takes forever. They bid low as they go in, it gets changed. It's a game that's played with Congress. Congress knows this. They accept the low bid and then they accept the contract extensions because the contract extensions are tied to factories in their jurisdictions where jobs are. More money is pouring into their jurisdiction. It is a grift on the American taxpayer to take money from the American taxpayer and use it as a jobs program to enhance the political viability of these candidates. They will never change this because this is how they stay in power. We can't build the weapons you're talking about because defense industry is not there to do the right thing for the national security. They can't make money building artillery shells for Ukraine because it would require them to capitalize new production lines. And they don't want to do that. They won't don't want to do that unless there's a big contract that they can stretch out, stand as part of a program to grift, to steal, to, 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 to deceive the American taxpayer. The Pentagon's budget is a criminal enterprise. 
look, the honest to God fact is that we could slash easily $400 billion from the Pentagon's budget and have a stronger military today than the one that we exist. The reality is the bigger the budget is, the weaker America becomes because the more it becomes about enriching defense industry and the less it becomes about doing what's right for the Marine, the soldier, the sailor, the airman, for the American people. This is one of the biggest criminal enterprises that has ever existed on the planet. But there it is right in front of you. I wish I could say something different. That interview was on George Galloway's Mother of All talk shows. He now posts his shows on YouTube. Search for his channel called George Galloway. I recommend listening to the entire 30-minute interview with Scott Ritter. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or want to support this listener-funded program, like listeners in McKinleyville, Westport, and Willits, California did this week, you can find contact information at outfarpress.com or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Your support helps the weekly production of this show, which is distributed without cost to more than 100 radio stations across the globe. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. The Confederation of Indigenous Nationalities in Ecuador blamed conservative President Lasso for the increased violence in the country, including the assassination of a presidential candidate last week. This week, another political leader in Ecuador was murdered. Venezuela won a legal battle to recover $1.5 billion that had been confiscated by a Portuguese-American bank. Venezuelan President Maduro again demanded the return of the state oil company Citgo from the U.S.-backed opposition. Radio Havana, Cuba. The Confederation of Indigenous Nationalities of Ecuador, or CONAHAI, has pointed to the administration of conservative Guillermo Lasso as responsible for the ongoing spiral of violence that has claimed the life of presidential candidate Fernando Villavincencio. CONAI President Leonidas Issa stated that the sooner Lasso steps down from power, the sooner a process of reversing the surge in crime could begin. However, he emphasized that an enduring solution is still a collective challenge for all Ecuadorians. The indigenous leader highlighted that thousands of Ecuadorians have been murdered by criminal groups since 2021, underscoring that these criminal networks have been able to operate because the Lasso administration abandoned public policies related to security. Issa said, referring to the assassination of Via Vicencio that occurred less than 15 days before the presidential elections scheduled for August 20th. Quote, we cannot allow organized crimes bullets to define a democratic process. There is a direct responsibility for this wave of insecurity and the advancement of organized crime, the Conai president said, referring to the former banker Lasso. Quote, his state downsizing model dismantled the entire security system and the judicial function. He's appointed out and recalled that the Lasso administration is even tainted with the suspicions of a connection with the Albanian mafia. The state prosecutor has not yet provided responses regarding these allegations. The indigenous leader said, Lasso has led us to a failed state. The advancement of organized crime cannot be explained without an infiltration of the mafia into the state security forces. Violence and terrorism came from sectors linked to big corporations. 
In Ecuador, another political leader was killed Monday, less than a week after the assassination of presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio, and days before Ecuadorians head to the polls this Sunday. Pedro Briones, who was fatally shot in the northern province of Esparaldas, he was a local leader of the Citizen Revolution Movement, the party of progressive presidential frontrunner Luisa González, and former President Rafael Correa. Luisa Gonzalez blamed the soaring wave of violence in Ecuador on President Guillermo Lasso, who dissolved Congress in May to avoid impeachment proceedings. Gonzalez wrote on social media, quote, Ecuador is living its bloodiest moment. We owe this to the total abandonment by an inept government and a state taken over by mafias. Venezuela has won a major legal battle to recover about $1.5 billion that had been confiscated by the Portuguese bank Novo Banco that is largely owned by the U.S. private equity firm Lone Star. For years, the Venezuelan government has denounced Washington's sanctions that have led to foreign banks freezing its overseas assets. The sanctions are led by the U.S. government that puts pressure on the rest of the world to do the same. The sanctions have been condemned by many countries around the world and are considered a violation of international law. In 2021, the Intercept reported Venezuela was blocked from accessing the money held by the bank to buy millions of vaccines for children. Venezuelan President Nicolás Maduro has demanded the return of the company CITCO, a subsidiary of Petroleos de Venezuela, or PDVSA, after denouncing that it was stolen by the United States. The Bolivarian president flattery rejected the coup plot to keep CITCO as a hostage, which has caused millions of dollars in losses to the Venezuelan oil company. Quote, the United States is not a safe country to make investments, to make purchases of companies, or to pursue economic activity. Sitco has been kidnapped by the United States. The United States gives Sitco to the extremist right-wing opposition, and they are simply stealing a company that costs more than $12 billion and belongs to the Venezuelan people. President Maduro stressed that Sitco was purchased, well managed, and run by Venezuela, and in addition to the profits, it brought other benefits to Venezuela. Quote, Venezuela demands the immediate return of the company Sitco and the return of the $4 billion owed to us after these four years of kidnapping. Nicolas Maduro said that despite the attacks on the national and international media and social networks, the right wing will not install fascism in, the, in Venezuela's streets. Quote, in Venezuela, there is a consensus on four issues. The first, to continue the path of construction and economic growth. The second, the rejection of the criminal sanctions imposed on the country. Third, the need to preserve peace. And fourth, the need to rescue the social welfare state. He stated that his country will follow a path of peace, harmony, recovery, solidarity and love in search of greatness, solidarity, life and progress. Likewise, the president referred to the installation of peace dialogues between the government of Colombia and the guerrilla of the National Liberation Army, the ELN, and confirmed all Venezuela's willingness to help Colombia build peace. Quote, peace in Colombia is urgent. It cannot be postponed. It is emerging. It is necessary. Peace in Colombia cannot be delayed any longer. It is a great opportunity that the government of President Petro is providing to achieve total peace. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radio8c.cu, though the podcasts are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165.
at their website, radiohc.cu. You can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Daylight Saving Time. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, find information for online support. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 27 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I am recuperating from spinal surgery, I am staying at a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.